Welcome to the Badass Breastfeeding Podcast. This is Diane, your lactation consultant. And I'm Abby, the Badass Breastfeeder. And today's episode is brought to you by Sarah's Chill. Never worry about safely storing your breast milk or formula again. And uh, we'll hear more from our sponsor later, but uh, you can head to badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com and check our sponsor page. All of the sponsors we've ever worked with are on there. See if you can give them any of your business because they make this podcast possible. And while you're there, scroll down and enter your email address and we will send episodes straight to your inbox every week. We do. Do it. And check out our shop page and all the cool merch that we designed by ourselves. Get the merch. Yeah. And uh, we're still holding our giveaway. So if you can leave a review somewhere or stars or whatever app you're listening from lets you do any kind of review, send us a screenshot and we will send you a goodie bag of stickers and thank you for nursing in public cards. And you can send your screenshot and your address to badassbreastfeedingpodcast at gmail.com. And, uh, and I will send it. Diane will mail it to you. And uh, Diane will also read you our review of the week. Yes, I will. And this was a review that was on um, iTunes. So thank you so much because we know now that there's various places to leave it. So um, this says, favorite podcast. I found this podcast about two months after giving birth to my baby boy. Even though I had been in the field as a public healthcare worker for years, specifically working with moms and babies, I was still so new to the game and questioning everything I was doing, including breastfeeding which I thought I was so sure of. This podcast helped me to feel so much more comfortable in the decisions I was making as a new parent. I knew that I could feel confident in my bed sharing, baby carrying, breastfeeding around family in public, pumping, contact napping, healing after birth, and ignore all the other things people make you second guess with their unsolicited opinions. Thank yeah. you, my ladies, for entertaining me and my husband every week and giving me the strength to trust the process and trust my instinct as a mama. Um, I loved this because it made me remember a time where I had done this home visit this was a couple of years ago, like several years ago. I had done a home visit for a mother baby nurse. Or maybe she was a labor delivery nurse. Either way, she was a nurse in the hospital for very newborn babies. And she was like, am I putting the diaper on okay? Like stuff that she does every single day in her regular work life that yep. she was questioning her ability to do as a parent. Yeah. And we do that. You know, and I think, you know, when you're when you're pregnant, just like this review, when you're pregnant, you're like, oh, I got this. I do this all the time with other people's babies. So it'll be fine. And then you have a baby and you're like, oh, my God, I don't know what I'm doing. Or even I've done this before with my own babies. Yeah, that. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's just crazy how different we feel after the baby's yeah. born and how much we question what we're doing. And I'm so glad that she found her space to be like, I'm doing everything okay. And it's okay to contact nap and it's okay to bed share and it's okay to carry my baby in a carrier all the time. And I mean, it's just, you know, other people just throw us off so much with their comments. Yeah. And just like societal norms. Oh, it's just like, God. this is not normal. This is not what I see people doing. This is, this is just completely like strange. It's mm -hmm. strange that I'm holding my baby while they're napping. Yeah. Like and people think it's wrong. Like they only nap if I'm holding them. I'm like, yeah, I know. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're like, Oh wow. Oh, you shouldn't, Oh, you shouldn't let that happen. And that's the only way they'll ever nap. 
<laughs> now you've done it. Yeah. Now you're screwed. Now you really screwed him up. Yeah. Oh my God. And I love so- that her husband listens too. I know. I thought that too. I love that. I Thank just you. think that like, I think it's so important because like people are brought up to just really think that, you know, the female body is sexual only. And like, this is the only use for it. And of course, boys, I mean, I'm being very gendered right now, but you know, typically like boys are taught like, oh, you should be attracted to, you know, this kind of person. And these are, you know, what these parts are for. And like a lot of times people, including ourselves, don't learn about what your boobs are actually for. Mm -hmm. And like when you have a baby and you're breastfeeding, you're like, oh, okay, I'm discovering all these things about myself. But like the partner doesn't necessarily go through that transition. And like, but if you're along for the ride and you're like learning about breastfeeding, you're learning about all this stuff, like you, then you are going to go through that. And if all the partners and all the people like went through this and was educated, like, I think our experiences would be so completely different. What a huge difference that would be. Mm hmm. You know, or if people just accepted, like, even if we're talking like extended families and stuff like that, like, even if people would just accept that things are different than they were 35 years ago. Yeah. Or 40 years ago, you know, like it just, it, there's just so much. But yeah, I just am so pleased. I did have somebody recently said that she passed our um, bottle feeding and paste bottle feeding episode on to her mother to listen mm. to. Yeah. And I was like, God, I hope I wasn't swearing in it. And she's like, oh, please, it's <laughs> nothing she wouldn't hear from me anyway. You know? <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Uh-uh. But it's, you know, um, it's just so important for people to have the information and to be open to getting the information. And obviously it sounds like if partners are listening, then they're open to the information, which is great. Yeah. And I remember talking to like my mom about something, about something unrelated, but it was something about medical like some kind of medical advice. And she was talking about it. And I was like, that's not like, that's not a thing anymore. (laughs) Like we don't like, that's not like medical. Like that was, that was like 40 years ago. Like, Mm. you know, like research and stuff is advanced now. Like that's not, and she just like, didn't (laughs) like get it. Like, I know that's, that's what you think. And that's what everyone thought like back then or back, you know, yeah. 40 years ago. Um, but that's not like what science tells us now. And it was just like this weird concept that like we can't. And like, I get it, you know, learning new things that contradict what you thought you knew already or what you did know already. And then things change because we learn more and we do more research and whatever. It's hard to change your opinions. It's hard to change your mind on that. But like you have to. Yeah. You have to just like accept that. It's different now that we found out that that wasn't true. Yeah, it is. It doesn't have to destroy your entire world. No, just ex- you no, just go. Oh just- wow, cool! Like we learned more, and that's not the case anymore. We don't do that. And that's anymore. a good oh. thing. Don't we I want know, things to it's evolve? A great thing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's stay in 1942. Wouldn't I know. that be fun? Because yeah. that was such a yeah. great time in our in our lives, right? Like <laughs> yeah. we weren't at war every five minutes, and you know. In yeah, a depression. Or well. like advertising smoking as being like, what, yeah. I don't even remember those old ads that were like, oh, these are good. It's good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Encouraging I mean, mothers to, you know, be on all these pills to get through the day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
There's a lot of stuff happening back then, but now it's different and we are all taking charge of our own future. We're learning stuff and that's good. It is. Yeah. And today we're going to uh, talk about yeah. low onset milk. And a few weeks ago we did, somebody had requested, if I remember correctly, somebody requested mm-hmm. low onset milk. And when I was like researching for it, um, I was like, oh gosh, you know, like there's low onset milk at birth and low onset milk later on, you know? So mm-hmm. A couple months ago, we talked about the, or a couple months, a couple weeks ago, we talked about the later on because that was a concern. The person that wrote in was like, okay, it's my baby's however many months old. And I feel like my supply dropped. But now we're going to talk about newborn stuff, which is way more involved um, and way more stuff going on with it. And Abby did ask the internets. I love because- asking the internets. That's my new thing. <laughs> So if you, um, we do have a little bit of a secret coming down the line where maybe you guys are going to be, we're going to be able to interact a little better um, during our episodes or during different ways and things. Um, Just life. I'm being very secretive because I'm going to keep you hanging. Um, But enough of that. But for now, you can go to, uh, I'm going to be like posting ahead of time, like, you know, questions and stuff to get input for each of the episodes, which obviously if you're listening, you already know because we were, have done that the past couple of episodes. But yeah, so I asked the internets and people were, I asked the internets, when did people's milk come in? Um, a couple of people let me know that that was not the right question to ask uh, because your milk is always there. And to ask when your milk comes in is like perpetuating the idea that your milk is not there. But um but since you have colostrum, like your milk is always there. And so colostrum isn't milk. We yeah, we have a little bit of not milk. There might there's a little disagreement we have with that, but I totally get it. It's not just like there's nothing there, and then one day there's something there. Like there's a transition. Mm -hmm. But it is like one day. It's not like it happens over weeks. Right. It happens on a day. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it's called so lactogenesis. It's lactogenesis one, two, three. There's like stages of it. And when your milk comes in, that's a stage of lactogenesis that your body is transitioning between hormonal changes and, you know, everything else like that after after pregnancy is done. Once the placenta leaves the body, your body's like, okay. Hormones are shifting. Everything's changing. Now it's time to make milk for this baby. The baby's not growing inside anymore. Now we got to make milk for this baby. So that's when your body is like, boom, you know, and transitioning and milk starts to, they call it milk coming in. But, you know, it's a transition. But the easiest way to say, I don't know how that came about. People are just like, oh, when did your milk come in? Did your milk come in yet? Do you feel your milk coming in? And you do, you feel different. You feel fuller. Um, we know that, you know, babies are eating differently, doing a lot more swallowing. Um, it is just, it's a whole different process. So yeah, like milk actually does come in. Like it just, your body transitions and you start having milk. (laughs) Okay. So should we read, should I read a few of these comments to get us started? Yes. This is an interesting one to me. So Jess says five days postpartum, her milk came in. It took 10 hours after the vaginal birth of her daughter to get her placenta out. And 
And at an ultrasound two months later, she still had retained placental fragments. Mm. Yeah. So retained placenta. First of all, I have never heard of a placenta being left for that long. Like, I feel like that's some kind of risk factor. But usually if it's not coming down, they'll take you in and they'll manually remove it. So I, I don't know what was going on there. But obviously, that wasn't something they do where she had her baby, um, and we don't know where she, if she, you know, if she had her baby at home or ho- you know, hospital or birth center or whatever. But um, usually, they make sure that gets out pretty quickly. Um, it could cause like bleeding issues and things like that, I believe. So, but placental fragments can absolutely cause a delay in milk because it's telling your body you're still pregnant. Yeah. So those hormones aren't really changing over the way they need to. So yeah, placental fragments can be absolutely be a problem when it comes to um, milk supply. It's very, so interesting how your body reacts to stuff. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Um, and so then we have another one. C-section, 2 a.m. on a Saturday and milk came in on a Wednesday night into Thursday. So five days. Yeah. Um, She gave birth at a baby-friendly hospital, so she was never pressured to give formula. And her boy started to gain on day four, even from just the colostrum. Um, That's not typical. So usually what happens, so first-time C-sections, I don't know if that was her first-time C-section. Did she say if it was her first baby? She did not say that. Okay. So um, first-time C-sections are typically like we know that that can be a delay in milk supply. Um, Just lots of things going on, more trauma to the body, um, delayed baby getting to the breasts a lot of times with C-section deliveries, um, you know, just like things happening. So we do know and people kind of like take that into consideration, like your milk might take another day or so to come in because of that. Babies typically do not start gaining until they have been nursing on milk for about 24 hours. So it could be that her milk was starting to kind of slowly trickle in slow. Cause it's not, I think sometimes people are going, are thinking it's like, bam, all of a sudden your milk is there, but it's kind mm-hmm. of like, it's just like slowly transitioning, turning over. So yeah. it might've been that her milk was kind of there. Cause I've had a lot of people be like, I don't think my milk is in yet. And then I see them and I'm like, Oh yeah, it is. It's <laughs> definitely coming in. Like, that's milk. And they're like, oh, and then by like the next 24 hours, they're like, oh my gosh, I feel so full. You know, like it just can be a, a process. And it's not yeah. the same for everybody. Some people are like, oh my gosh, I was so full. And some people are like, I really wasn't, didn't feel that. Um, it could, It's just different for everybody. But that would be my guess that her milk was trickling kind of in and that she just didn't realize it until she really became full. Mm-hmm. And so how long does that take when the milk starts to come in? We're talking about this transition. We talk about how it's not really a transition and your milk does come in, but then we also are talking about how it is a transition and how it comes in slowly. Yeah, it can definitely. And like I said, it's different for everybody. But as the, you know, as the hormones kind of like start to take over, the more the baby is nursing at the breast, the faster this process goes. And that's because the baby uh, is like, this is, you know, I telling your body what they need and really kind of turning up those hormones. So if your baby is on the breast and feeding pretty regularly through the hospital stay or through the, you know, the first 24 to 48 hours, 
that milk can come in faster and it can be an easier transition. Like you might not feel it as much because they're just nursing all the way through. So those like cluster feeding times at like the, that, you know, 48 hour mark or whatever, whenever we know babies cluster feed, you know, in the first 24 to 48 hours. And a lot of times people are like, oh my gosh, they're starving. I'm just going to give them something. It's like, no, they're doing that for a purpose. And they're setting up your milk supply and they're setting up themselves to get start getting milk sooner. And there's a whole purpose to that cluster feeding. So when that happens, your milk is probably going to transition a little bit faster. If you just it. listen to your baby and just feed them. Yeah. Right. And trust what's going on. Yeah. yeah. And that's going to be difficult when you're in the hospital and you're reaching a couple of days or a few days. I would imagine they're going to start to say, well, you need to, this is what happened with me. You need to supplement. You need to supplement. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. your milk We also have a lot of, you know, hospital personnel that don't know the process, believe it yeah. or not. Like, I think everybody really trusts or everybody really thinks like, oh, well, they know my mother baby nurse. She must know lactation. They don't get yeah. trained in this. No. They don't. They don't get trained in it. So, they're, I mean, they pick up what they what they pick up as they go along, which is great because they want to help you. But oftentimes you will see that they say, oh, your baby's starving. Your baby's really hungry. Mm-hmm. Let's just give them some formula. Let's just give them something because your milk's not in yet. We need to give them something else because they're just feeding all the time. It's like, no, if they knew why, if they knew the purpose of that feeding all the time, then it would be okay. They would reassure you that this is a normal process, but they just raise raise that concern even higher when your baby nurses all the time. It's kind of frustrating, honestly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. That, that's like, I mean, that kind of thing can just completely derail your oh, breastfeeding yeah. plans. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because then your milk will not come in. And that's where we get delayed lactogen, delayed milk supply. Here we go. Delayed onset milk. <laughs> like that's where you get, like that is one of the biggest things yeah, yeah. is the supplementing. That is where you get delayed onset milk. When babies are not stimulating the supply as they should be. Yeah. You're, nobody's, no, there's nothing telling your body to make this milk. And they're setting up like that early transition, that early, um, nursing and stimulation is setting up those prolactin receptors so that your body will make more milk. That's why we want the baby feeding at the breast all the time in the beginning. As annoying and overwhelming it might be, they are setting up supply. That's their point in life. That is their instinct. When we say breastfeeding is so instinctual, yeah, babies need to learn how to do it. They need to learn how to latch and suck and swallow and everything. But their instinct is to nurse constantly because they are setting up those prolactin receptors so that you will have a higher milk supply. It's just hor- it's hormones, that's all. Like it's just Yeah. But we tend to go, "Oh, babies are really hungry. Let me give them something else." And then we're like, "Oh dear, where why don't I have any milk?" And it's like because nobody ever told your body we needed it. That's why. Yeah, it's like, it seems so complicated and scary and just, but it's not. It's very simple. If you understand yeah. it, it's very simple. Put the baby to the breast, your body makes milk. It, like, it, And it's hard to trust it when somebody else in the medical yeah, when, world is telling yeah. you this is not okay. 
I mean, and the yeah. other thing with it too, especially with, you know, delayed onset milk, or especially if you're somebody who just isn't sure, support is important. So seeing a lactation consultant who can validate whether or not everything is going okay is really important. And yeah. I get it that sometimes people don't want to pay out of pocket for that thing. And a lot of times it's not covered, but this is a really important part of your baby, you and your baby's breastfeeding journey. Feeling really confident about that relationship because you're going to hear all sorts of stuff the more people you talk to that are not lactation people because they're just kind of grasping at straws and pulling out whatever random stuff they heard in 1942. So (laughs) it really, you know, you just kind of got to bite the bullet and be like, I just need really good support. Boom, bottom line. And then you feel more confident. Yep. Let's take a break. Oh dear. Okay. Not too, oh uh, dear. Party I didn't even realize how late it's okay. it was. Holy cow. Yeah, I know. I I, I noticed, and it's got on a tangent. I, it's uh. not a tangent. It was very on on topic. <laughs> that was not a rant. It was not off topic. It was very much on topic. Oh. Okay. Oh my god. <laughs> we'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Sarah's Chill. Never worry about safely storing your breast milk or formula again. If you've ever had to pump at work late at night or while you're away from your baby, you know how hard it is to juggle all the plastic and clunky coolers. Sarah's Chills Grab-and-Go Container makes everything so much easier. With just a handful of ice and a splash of water, you'll have safe storage for over 20 hours in this sleek two-chamber bottle. And did we mention it's designed for double pumping? And it really is. And it's travel friendly and you can use it for coffee, wine, or even snacks later on after you're done using it for milk or formula. There's no prep. There's no cords. There's no batteries. There's no headache. It's just that simple. You can head to sarahschill.com, C-E-R-E-S, chill.com, and use code BADASS15 for 15% off your purchase, or you can use your HSA or FSA funds to buy this. That's awesome. And our sponsor can be found, and their promo code can be found in the show notes, just in case you forget, um, at badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com or wherever you're listening from. You can check the show notes. And at badassbreastfeedingpodcast.com, you'll find all of our other episodes and information about scheduling your very own one-on-one online lactation consultation with Diane. Yes. Okay, so who who else told us things? Oh, okay. In the internet. So um, Megan says, I was getting drops of colostrum the night of my C-section. Um, I think postpartum day three, I had about an ounce at the time of pumping. The NICU nurses called her a NICU unicorn. <laughs> Why? Mature milk, I don't know. Mature, mature milk came in around five days postpartum, I think. No, um, her milk was in on day three when she pumped an ounce. You're not pumping yeah. an ounce of colostrum. <laughs> that was milk. Yeah. <laughs> that was milk. It might have um, looked super yellow still because there is still colostrum in it, but that was milk. Uh, Casey says that hers came in really early at about 48 hours and she had a terrible time with engorgement. Mm. Um, Donna had a C-section and hers came in four days after that. Yeah, um, pretty typical. Yeah, four or five days with um, 
face Faith's first baby after a traumatic uh, birth, three days with her second, another traumatic hospital birth, but not as bad mm. as the first. And day two with both her third and her fourth, two years apart and both born at home. Ah, so, um, yeah, she was like, F this after her. Yeah, like me. Terrible yeah. hospital births. Yeah, exactly. So um, the more babies, like subsequent babies, milk tends to come in a little faster. So you're, you're we call them primip, your first time parent. Um, it's your first baby. It takes a little bit more time. Not much more time, but your body has to get those prolactin receptors set up and, you know, New, they have to know what to do. It's kind of like labor and delivery where your first baby might take 25 hours and your second baby takes four. You know, like I've everybody seen that happen. Um, it just, you know, usually I, I've met the, you know, random person here or there where their second baby was a little bit longer, but it doesn't usually work like that because your body already knows what to do. Your body's really smart. And the same thing with breastfeeding. If it's your second baby, your body's already like, oh, we already did this. We know what we're doing. And your milk tends to come in a little bit faster and you have more with each baby because things are set up like that. Um, there is definitely like lots of reasons why milk can be delayed. Um, and they might not tell you like, cause maybe they don't know, you know, like if you're just in the hospital, they might not know why, but blood loss. And I don't know if you've got blood loss on your list. Like if people had mentioned having like a hemorrhage or anything like that. Um, but often a hemorrhage or a pretty significant blood loss can cause a delay in milk um, or like low milk supply too. Stimulation, if babies are not nursing, they're not, you know, at the breast, they're not latching. And there's a lot of things. So I, I took out my big ass book. I know like I talked about the big ass book like last <laughs> week. Love my big ass book. And there is like all this, all this info in there about like reasons milk could be delayed in the beginning, like so much stuff. And a lot of it is like, okay, it makes sense. You know, you get that um, traumatic delivery and there's tons of fluids involved and babies aren't nursing well. They're not latching well. And it's like, yeah, because there was a traumatic delivery, there's lots of medications involved. There's lots of fluids involved. That does make it harder for babies to nurse. No wonder your milk is taking a little bit longer to come in. Like that stuff, it's like, okay, A, B, C, D, you know, it's like all kind of goes in together, but we're not expecting that. We're just like, oh, okay, yes, I had this horrible, shitty delivery with all these meds and duction and fluids and all of this stuff. And I don't understand why it took my milk four days to come in because nobody tells you that that could be a risk factor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I could talk about Caitlin was induced. Um, I had very little colostrum. It took about a week for my milk to come in. I was immediately handed a nipple shield by the lactation consultant at the hospital when my daughter was having a hard time latching. When her weight was down 7%, I was told to supplement with formula by a nurse in the hospital, then repeatedly told by her pediatrician to do the same when she wasn't gaining. At that time, I did what the experts were telling me since I was a first-time mom. I pumped for almost four months trying to get her to latch every day until I finally got my daughter to latch in her sleep. Uh, we've been fully breastfeeding ever since. She's nine months old now. Oh, that's awesome. I hope she saw a lactation consultant in this mix um, because, yeah, that would have been 
a really important piece of the game. Um, and I do like there are definitely situations where if your baby is really down, you know, a lot of weight and losing mm-hmm. weight and your milk's not in yet, they probably will tell you that you need to do some supplementing, which is not terrible. Like that's why we have formula. That's why we have it. Like when we need it like that. But that doesn't mean your baby is three days old and you give them two ounces of formula and then expect them to be able to breastfeed because that's, you know, that's going to be really difficult for them. They're going to be too full. And we want them to nurse so that we, they tell, they're telling your, you know, your milk to come in. Um, So there is a lot there that can be confusing because you're like tired and you're trying to figure things out and your baby's losing weight, which can feel really scary. And then you're like, I don't know where my milk is. It's day three. My baby's down 10%, which happens when there's a lot of fluid involved because babies get all that fluid too. And she said that was an induction. So those inductions tend to get more fluid because they're giving you more medications and you know, all that stuff. Um, The other thing too is Pitocin, which is a very, very loved drug oh, during uh-huh. labor and delivery. Pitocin loved by the acts, doctors giving it. Yes, yes. Loved by, <laughs> you know, medical staff. Hated by everybody After else. After giving you the epidural to stop your labor. Right, yeah. Then they'll give Pitocin, you the Pitocin because yeah. we have to start it again. Because Pitocin shows up somewhere out. along the way. You know, always shows up yeah. somewhere. Pitocin acts like an antidiuretic and tells your body to hold on to fluid, too, which people don't know. So that is another thing. Like now you've got Pitocin, you've got all this fluid, your body's holding on to this fluid, your baby's not latching well because there's so much, you know, fluid in, in edema. Your baby's losing more weight because they had more fluid, um, which makes them drop weight pretty quickly. And it's like, oh my gosh, where's my milk? First time baby. Now you're, you know, your milk's taking a, a day or two longer. And now we start supplementing, but we need to make sure that we are also paying attention to whether or not baby is latching because that's what's going to tell your body to make this milk and get your milk supply set up. So yes, the supplementing is important during that phase of the game because we need to make sure that your baby is eating, but it doesn't mean it's going to be forever and it doesn't mean it needs to be two ounces at a time because that's just too much for a baby that age. Uh, Should I read some more? Yeah, read another one. This one is a, this one is um Anna. Her my water broke likely due to stress at 38 weeks two days, and my baby was born via C-section per my preference and Frank breach position. Mm. My milk didn't come in until day eight, and I hardly got any colostrum despite pumping and hand expression. Baby had no interest in latching, was sleepy, jaundiced until one week, and we finally able to pick up nursing at four weeks after lots and lots of trying. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of stressful stuff going on for her. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah. You know, that can, I mean, we do have a whole episode about stress. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think that in those early days. Yeah. That can affect, we don't know what her situation is. You know? Yeah, we don't know what the situation was. But, but eight um, days, that's a long time. Yeah, I feel like that's a long time. Yeah, I feel like that's a long time. And um, I wonder, uh, yeah, I guess she, I guess there wasn't any formula. It doesn't sound like. Yeah. But, but hopefully like and in those situations, like I don't like people pumping in the beginning, but if, if mm-hmm. we need milk to come in faster and it's been, you know, several days and we're starting the supplement process, then yes, we're probably going to get you pumping to make sure things are rolling. Um, if baby's not latching, um, y- you know, we want, we definitely want to stimulate 
that supply, we want to stimulate those hormones. So we're going to say, okay, we need to get some pumping in or something so that we're stimulating and, and getting something to give to the baby if possible. Uh, Lisa said that hers came in pretty fast with both of her kids, less than 48 hours after giving birth. When my second, with my second, I was still in the hospital when it came in and I told the IBCLC because I could feel my breasts becoming engorged. And she was like, really? So I squirted some out to show her. And she was like, yeah, it is. (laughs) Yeah. And that's how it is for some people. It's very different for everybody. Um, so it just, it is, it's just very different for everybody. Um, and situational too. Like maybe she had a, you know, we don't know how her birth was, but maybe her birth was, you know, less medications, you know, natural, no induction, you know, the, the less intervention, the easier it's going to be. Um, but it's a lot of times people will say too, like, why, why is breastfeeding so hard now? Isn't it? I thought it was a natural thing. And, you know, it's like, but babies aren't born naturally anymore for the most part. And when we add stuff to that labor and delivery, it absolutely affects babies and how they breastfeed and nobody connects those two. You know, they're just not connecting that as being a, a, process. You know, I hear that all the time from people. They're like, oh gosh, I just didn't even realize that that could affect it. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we have a bunch of people who just left the days. And so we have four days, we have four days, we have two days. We have Whitney who was five days after her first C-section, her first child. The second child was the next day after a vaginal birth after C-section, a VBAC. Her Good third her. was two days after VBAC, and her fourth was 24 hours after her water VBAC. Yeah, it's it's so interesting how different it is for people. You know, yeah, it really, we, it's amazing. It is. And we have another four days, five long days, Valerie says. <laughs> <laughs> um, somewhere between three and five days, day three. Uh, yeah, so it seems to be really within that first week. Five days is long, I would say. Yeah, five days is kind of long, um, but it's not. You know, I've definitely seen it. Depending I mean, on not, whatever's not going on. The, yeah, not to. Yeah, not to say that that doesn't happen. It certainly does happen. Now there are some things that we know will likely delay milk, and like I said, you know, like the C-section. But that usually, you know, like parents will call me and they'll be like, well, they told me at the hospital that because I had a C-section that might take longer for my milk to come in. So at least people are being told that. But with like blood loss, they're usually not told that. Um, Sometimes people don't even think to tell me that they had a blood loss because they don't think it really matters. And it's like, oh, no, that matters. (laughs) That makes a big difference. And you're like, oh, yeah, I lost like two liters of blood. And I'm like, oh, that's just kind of like a an afterthought. Like, you know. That's a lot of, you know, you're losing a lot of blood. I had two transfusions. I'm like, oh my God, like that's a lot. Um, That's a lot of trauma right there. Um, Lack of stimulation. Um, People don't really think that if your baby's not latching pretty frequently, that that's going to make a difference, that your milk is just going to still just come in. And it's like, well, it will, but maybe not to the volume that we want it to. Um, Things like diabetes, gestational diabetes or diabetes overall. That can delay milk as well or cause milk supply problems. Um, There was a study that I was looking at before we hopped on today about like obesity and diabetes and how those things lead to low milk supply. 
And it's like, okay, why are like people not, not breastfeeding as much? Um, mm. more supplementing in the hospital because of that. And it could be several things. You know, it could be mode of delivery. Um, often people that are overweight, a lot of them do end up with a C-section. I don't know why that is. I don't do the labor delivery part. I don't know why that is. I feel um, like there's probably, I don't know. I would imagine there's some kind of like, probably some like fat phobia stuff mm-hmm. around that. Like, oh my Probably. God, you know, you know, you're yeah. like, you're obese. You can't, you know, your body's not gonna be able to do this. You're right. You know, all these things. N- not to say that there's not medical stuff that comes along with all of that, but sometimes not. Yeah. Um, diabetes. I have seen like gestational diabetes and stuff. I've seen those babies um, or those parents be induced a few weeks early, like a couple, like 37 weeks. Yeah. Um, and we know that, that those babies don't feed well. So that's mm-hmm. a situation. Um, one of the things that it did say that I necessarily didn't think about, so it's kind of shame on me, but they said that like women that are um, heavier or, you know, more overweight, a lot of time have bigger breasts and it's really hard for them to see baby latching or get into comfortable positions with babies latching, which mm-hmm. leads to a latch that's painful. Um or, and they said there's a lot of like confidence issues there, which I could totally understand. I mean, there's confidence issues in people that yeah don't feel of like all that. Weights. So, yeah. of all I mean, weights, yes. of all shapes and sizes, yeah. there's definitely confidence issues there. And, um, but so often, if your breasts are bigger, I hear, I'm afraid the baby's suffocating. I'm afraid. Yeah. Or you, you might know, have the, a nurse saying that. Well, your breasts are too mm-hmm. big. You're too heavy for this. You're too, you know, you're, it's, your baby won't be able to do it. Right. And it's like, Jesus. And we know with with diabetes too, either gestational or regular, that those babies are going to probably be tested blood sugars, which is going to interfere too. So there's a lot of things that kind of go along with that. And I don't know if any of the people, we don't know if any of the people that answered your question had any of those issues, but I can guarantee they probably, some probably did. Yeah. Because you're not going to get, you know, all these responses and have none of them be. A, a diabetes situation, you know, yeah. um, high blood pressure is another one, which we see a lot. Now we see a lot of high blood pressure now and people are having their babies earlier because of high blood pressure. And people are also getting a lot of medications because of high blood pressure, like even during labor, like they might be on mag sulfate during labor, which can cause problems with breastfeeding. So, and just oh, having wait, them earlier. I think we have one of these here. Oh, wait. do you? I think that was, um, I think I, I I think I was skimming her comment at first and I wasn't reading it detailed and then I read it detailed later and then I regretted not reading it more detailed. I'm new <sighs> to the whole reading the comments thing, so bear with me. When we find Sometimes okay. there's a lot. Did you get a lot of responses with this? I know. There's a lot of responses and then I try to read as many as I can and I think maybe what I'm going to have to do is just like read them and find like a handful that like are good. But it's yeah, like but people, people probably comment don't... and I'm just... Huh? Yeah. I was going to say, people probably don't realize, oh, you know... My baby being born early because of my gestational diabetes impacted my milk supply. Yeah. You know, they probably don't even realize that that was a thing. Yeah. So she says, I was getting drops of colostrum the night of my C-section, tripping on magnesium, I guess, Mm pre-E. I don't know what what is pre-E. Yeah, preclamptic. Yeah, she she had preclampsia. Oh, preclampsia. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, While singing Breaking the Law by Judas Priest. (laughs) That's definitely something good to do while you're- She was loopy. Yeah. Um, I think 
three days postpartum, I had about an ounce at a time pumping. Uh, oh, this is the one that they called the unicorn. Oh, okay. And then her mature ma- milk came in at five days. And then okay. she, you were the one who said, well, her milk was there because you don't. Yeah, her milk was there. Ounce. But they probably thought she was a unicorn with her milk coming in that quickly because of all the trauma that she went through during labor and because mm-hmm. she was preclamptic and all that stuff. Um, so, yeah, but it, it is, there's a lot, you know, so if you feel like, okay, I'm on day four, I'm on day five, what is going on? Am I just a freak and my body's not making milk? No, there's probably something that's leading up le- that led to that. So, you know, reaching out and talking to somebody can make you feel a little bit more confident that it's not a problem or not anything you're doing wrong. And we can turn it around because in lo- the majority of these situations, it's just like getting over that hump. And then, you know, and jaundice is another one, like, because those babies don't eat well when they're jaundice. And we have a whole episode on jaundice, so we won't get into it too much. But that can also be a reason why your supply is, you know, not kicking in the way we need it to because those babies don't feed well. So there's a lot of stuff that can happen in those first few days. So if you are somebody that is like, having to supplement or really struggling with trying to figure out what's going on, just know that you are not by yourself in this at all. At all. And in other cultures, like I remember saying to um, this lactation consultant who was one of my mentors, when we worked in the hospital, I was like, well, what did they do? What do they do in other places? If you're, you know, your milk supply is not coming in or whatever, you know, your milk's not coming in yet and you've got a baby that needs to eat. And she goes, and other cultures, they just have somebody else that feeds the baby. And I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. Right? Like, because you're with other parents, sisters, aunts, right. community, where they are. And we have that too, you know, that's starting to grow here, not necessarily people feeding your baby, but you, there's a lot of people who are like, here, I have milk. You can have it for your for your newborn to get over the hump until your milk supply, you know, really kicks in. We know yeah. that there's people that do that right now for other people, and that's amazing. Um, yeah. Is there any more that you want to read? No, that's it. All right. So lots of info. Thank you so yeah. much to everybody who, like, you know, answered your question because that really yes, gave us a lot to go on today. Contributing to this, yes. Thank you. Thanks for and, listening. Uh, yeah. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.